Hey there, and welcome to another episode of The Walk. I'm Father Roderick, and it is a cold day today, very rainy. Let me open the gate here of the rectory. I've been closing this thing lately because I got more and more people that just walk past the gate when it's open, thinking that it is just a park or something like that. And so all of a sudden you'll have people in front of your window. <laughs> like, um, no. <laughs> Especially when I'm sitting there in my pajamas having breakfast. Oh, well. Oh, there is a slight drizzle as well. And a lot of wind. Maybe you can hear it in the trees. But it is uh, stormy weather. Not at all the kind of weather that you would expect after this uh, heat wave of just about a week ago. All of, all of a sudden we're back to typical Dutch weather. Speaking of weather, I have been a little bit under the weather. Even to the point that I was starting to get pretty worried. Um, I've had uh, a number of occasions where I had to leave the house and go to Amsterdam, for instance, and some other meetings. One of which was a short visit to my sister to, uh, to get my, my old guitar back. This requires a little bit of explanation. It has to do with the status of the international mass. Uh, when when the coronavirus forced us all into lockdown, I started celebrating Mass not only in the morning in Dutch, but also in the evening on Sunday in English, so that I could reach the community of followers that were also in lockdown um, in other part, parts of the world. And I have to say that it was really fun to finally be able to share that part of my life with, uh, with the community something that many people have asked me in the past. But now there was finally an occasion to do so. And uh, the first few months of this lockdown, I celebrated that Mass in conjunction with the other Masses under the, let's say, main responsibility of the parish. Even though uh, there were people in the staff and in the pastoral team that... Uh, were under the impression that this was just a private initiative and had nothing to do with the parish, whereas many other parishioners um, actually enjoyed having this different type of celebration with a different music and also different language. Especially younger people seem to enjoy the references to movies and TV shows and uh, the general kind of new vibe to this uh, international mass. However, it did result in a bit of confusion about who was to pay for the uh, the costs of this mass. And you know, of course, uh, since I'm a priest, uh, that doesn't really add to the to the costs. But um, for the music, I had asked Fritz and. Uh, at the start, a few choir members to 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 uh, to sing <laughs> to bring some new music to the table. That was it. I wanted to um, 
find new liturgical material from the the culture around World Youth Days and Taizé in France and some of the more uh, the English English liturgical uh, treasure that's out there and that we in the Netherlands at least never tap into. So he did that with a lot of I think enthusiasm and and quality and it was highly appreciated however <laughs> Fritz is a musician and uh, the choir members too require uh, uh, some form of compensation as is the case for every mass and so there has been a, a bit of going back and forth between me and uh, the let's say there's the people responsible for the finances in the parish because initially they didn't want to pay for that. They were like, but, but this is international. What does that have, what does it have to do with our parish? So I had to explain that from the moment we started, this was communicated and, well, I offered them to, to move the responsibility, to change the responsibility from me to, uh, or from the parish to Tridio. So that's what's going to, start this weekend so from now on international mass will be organized and paid for by by tridio no longer by the parish um but it was a bit of a tense situation and the thing is now that we have to organize it and we have to pay for the music um i have to be honest i can't afford it because it costs about um two days of preparation and then of course the actual mass itself so rehearsals and that sort of stuff so the total cost for if you want to have a, a little choir like this um, amounts to 250 euros a little bit more even and as you can imagine that is definitely not <laughs> what's coming in in terms of donations uh, people give a little bit or most of the time uh, nothing because it's just a live stream you know so um, I had to tell Fritz that unfortunately <clears throat> we had to put things on hold for the time being which of course saddens me and saddens him tremendously because I think that we were really onto something with this all this new music and it, uh, the whole international vibe of this mass I really hope that I can I can find some resources to bring that music back. But, of course, in order to still have a mass and, I don't know, it's a celebration, right? So there needs to be some music. I uh, figured that I'd, I would have to sing myself and maybe also accompany myself. Now, I did play a little bit of guitar many, many years ago when I... Uh, joined another priest in organizing these summer camps for kids and uh, and pilgrimages as well but I hadn't played in many years I'm more of a piano guy anyway so I never really mastered the guitar that well but I could play a few chords and you know the simple stuff however I, I couldn't remember where I had put my guitar and so uh, I was about to buy a new one, like a, the cheapest one I could find on Amazon, when I suddenly remembered something vaguely that I'd 
given it to my sister so her daughter could uh, experiment with it a little bit. And so I asked my sister, and lo and behold, the guitar was still there, and, well, nobody played it anymore, so I picked it up. Only to discover, when I was there, that the entire family was sick. Uh, They were all coughing and sneezing. Well, some of them were, at least. And a day later, my sister messaged me that her youngest son, Ezra, uh, had now a fever. So it was worse. (laughs) And that um, uh, her husband was also getting himself tested for corona because all the symptoms that they had were categorized as, you know, possible mild symptoms of of the corona virus, COVID-19. And then I started to develop the same symptoms. Like a day later or two days later, I started to feel tired. I was coughing, first a little bit, and then later on an entire night where I woke up all the time with these coughing fits and feeling... uh, congested uh, I I had a, a bit of a sore throat not nothing nothing uh, s- strong but but still annoying and overall I just didn't feel good I so I was starting to worry a lot because this was a I think on Wednesday and I I, I realized that this weekend is the first weekend that we are opening the churches. Um, so, for the first time since the start of the lockdown, parishioners are allowed to come to church and receive communion. And I had had this whole this whole altercation with the parish about me not not wanting to use those helmets that uh, the other two priests wanted to use. They wanted to go to the, the people in church and into the benches and then distribute communion like that. Whereas, you know, in the back of my mind, I had my responsibility towards my parents, both of which are in, in a very frail condition. And I just didn't see myself uh, stepping into the, the 1.5 meter zone Hundred for hundred parishioners on every Sunday, so I uh, I finally I, I hope, thankfully did convince them to make an exception for me. So uh, in most masses, I will not distribute communion myself. Someone else will do that, and um, and then in the St. Joseph Church, from which we do the. Uh, transmissions um, they have just finished building this uh, prevention screen so it's just a transparent screen that is exactly what the bishops asked us to put in place but for some reason the two parishes where I uh, serve chose to do otherwise but I figured <laughs> now that I've made all this ruckus about not wanting to get infected not wanting to infect other people um what if I would be a carrier myself? I had to get tested. Imagine that I would, um, you know, the, the first weekend that we opened our churches, that I would be the source of COVID-19 for a number of my parishioners. That would be <laughs> really, really bad. 
So I basically waited another night. Still didn't feel okay. It was getting a little bit better, but I was still coughing and and I saw this uh, this internet video from our government that said even if you have mild symptoms, get yourself tested. We have the capacity. Don't you don't have to pay for it. Don't feel guilty. We need you to get tested because so many people don't show very strong symptoms and are still carrying the virus. Let me go to the left here into the woods. It's much nicer. So uh, that's what I did on uh, Friday morning. So on Thursday, I made an appointment where they go through an entire list of, you know, where have you been and do you work in another place or do you, did you stay at home? Um, are people in your environment, infe- have, have they been infected, etc.? So they log all that data in case that when you are positive, they can immediately start doing the, uh, the tracing. And then on Friday morning, I took the car. To, you can't come on foot or by bike, or at least they discourage you, because the entire test is, um, is, is kind of based on people arriving in a car. You don't even exit the car. So I drove up to one of these test streets, as they call them. This one was near Central Station in Amersfoort. And at the back of the station, there is this old space. This old uh, looks like a factory hall where they uh, used to repair the trains and the wagons. Now it's empty. It's used sometimes for events. And... Uh, when you arrive there, you have to identify yourself, and then you you drive uh, up to this first table where a lady checks your uh, your data, again your identity, and then you you ride a little bit further to uh, another table where you have two assistants. One is completely uh, dressed in in Martian gear, so <laughs> covered from top to toe. In a um, well, it looks like a, a, a hazmat suit. <laughs> also, this transparent helmet and a mouth mask, the medical one. So, very uh, must be very uncomfortable to do that kind of work for an entire day. And with the uh, the the tip, the what is it? The thing that they put in your nose. I totally expected them to only. Uh, take a sample from my nose and it turns out that they wanted to do two samples one is a throat sample and the other one is a nose sample and when I say nose that's a kind of a vague indication of let's say the point of entry it actually felt more like they were scraping like the back of my head with that thing (laughs) this ginormous q-tip so the first thing he says is <laughs> because it's behind a mask so uh, okay well he introduces himself says um, I'm first going to take a sample from the back of your throat that may cause a gag reflex I was already a little bit tense <laughs> now I was uh, even more tense 
And he said, so I hope you had a good breakfast this morning. And so he was trying to crack jokes all the time. And I was so like, oh, I'm not sure if I'm going to like this. So I didn't laugh at any of his jokes. I felt so sorry for him afterwards. I didn't even realize he was joking. <laughs> he, tried to, he, he tried to lighten the mood, but um, I didn't even register it. So I opened my mouth, tilt my head backwards a little bit, and he starts prodding with this Q-tip. Normally you'd expect them to take a little bit of a sample from your, uh, the inner side of your cheeks, but he went like straight to the back of the throat. <laughs> And start moving this thing around. And I was like, ah. And he said, do, say, ah. And I was like, ah. I felt like Bart Simpson being strangled with that thing. And he just, it, it just went on and on. And I was like, ah. <laughs> and eventually, I did get the gag reflex where I was like, <laughs> I did not vomit all over him, but, um... It shouldn't have lasted one more second. <laughs> I was so relieved. And then he uh, turned the Q-tip around the other end. Or maybe it was a second Q-tip. I didn't watch it carefully. But since this is Holland, maybe they just want to economize and use one Q-tip for both, <laughs> for both <laughs> tests. He, um, again, I had to tilt my head backwards. And then he, he inserted the Q-tip in my nose. And I did not know what a huge cavity there was behind my nose. I'm like, where do you put this thing? <laughs> oh boy, oh boy. That was actually a little bit better. Because he, uh, before he inserted the Q-tip, he asked me to sneeze in a handkerchief. So he handed me a white paper handkerchief. <coughs> <coughs> Here we go. <coughs> this is the kind of coughing that I've had for the past week. Um, so um, that, of course, caused some mucus to come up, and then that was what he could uh, sample e more easily. So it was slightly faster. And that, that was it. And I could go home. I could drive through this big train <coughs> hallway or whatever it is, train... Um, factory building to the to the other end return home and then I had to uh, stay standby so the moment you register for a test you actually enter in a lockdown you're not uh, allowed to go out anymore and then until you get the the result so this morning fortunately early on I got the result and uh, it was negative so that I was very relieved. I was actually more relieved than I expected to be. <clears throat> but I was like, wow. So I don't have it. I, I, I absolutely don't have it. And uh, that feels really <laughs> reassuring. Because for the past few, and maybe I'm not the only one, but for the past three months, I've had more occasions where I was wondering, should I get tested? Is this normal? Uh, Am I supposed to cough or sneeze? Or I had this allergic reaction at one point, I think to the grass, which I've never had before. But my eyes started to swell up and uh, had these sneezing fits. And again, I'm not, I'm, I, I am allergic to a few things, most notably cigarette smoke, but uh, not, to, not to grass, not to plants or anything or trees. 
But maybe, I don't know what caused it, but I did get these teary eyes and everything was a bit swollen. Oh, maybe this is COVID. (laughs) Well, no, I think it's probably has all been something else. Although, I don't think they can find traces of if you've had it before. Um, It's not the kind of test they do. It's just whether you have it right now. But anyway, I'm very relieved that that is that it's safe and I can celebrate mass this weekend three masses in fact and uh, without endangering anyone so that was that was something this week the second thing that uh, occupied me um, and has caused caused a lot of uh, muscle pain and it was a ton of work was we had to move <clears throat> we had to move out of our existing offices the uh, office of Tridio the organization that I started a couple of years ago when when I left uh, SQPN well actually Tridio was already around back then we renamed it, it was the Dutch SQPN and we renamed it into Tridio anyway uh, we had occupied the Former the rectory where I formerly lived in November 2018, I moved to uh, the village where I currently live. And uh, my apartment, we, we, we just rented, we continued to rent it uh, and use it as an office. And we had great plans to refurbish it and create a, like a big green screen studio, etc. But then the parish, as you know, decided to close the church next to the rectory and so that put everything in jeopardy definitely stopped us from investing uh, for one more day into that building and so we stopped paying rent and we uh, we wanted to uh, vacate the premises at the beginning of July but that meant that all the office stuff the desks the equipment uh, had a lot of Ikea bookshelves and other things that I just left there when I moved over thinking well I don't need all that in my new house but it can be useful if we start to grow the office get more people involved Let me just cross the road here and if I can take the same path as last time the uh, horse path this is used by horses normally and by podcasting priests Um, I still needed to bring most of that stuff to um, over to uh, to the village where I currently live to my rectory and we made the decision a while ago that we would continue to work from home but I wanted to make a better distinction between the places where I work and the places where I pray and where I live and since this is a big rectory I made the decision to give up my living room which was on ground level and move everything up my own living quarters will be on the first floor just like uh, I've had in the other uh, in the other rectory in the past 
And then I would transform the current living room and the sunroom into two spaces where I could work, where I could edit, where I could also record videos, like the YouTube stuff. Um, during the lockdown, I had to constantly improvise, and it was so annoying that I had to make a, uh, build a set every single time I wanted to record a Star Wars commentary or a trailer reaction or something else. So um, this was a good occasion to finally build something that we could use in various ways and where also I can meet with other people, uh, we can have our board meetings, I can, uh, if, if necessary, Inge can come over and work there on administration, etc. Like the main, the core of work can still be done from home. That's the advantage of being a media organization. A lot of the stuff that we make is actually done on location and not at an office. But if need be, we can still use that space downstairs for, uh, for uh, definitely for podcasting. So I, I can finally build a fixed set for, for the green screen, for podcasting, for uh, other streaming stuff, as well as for... Uh, for regular, you know, YouTube videos and the geeky things. Um, I could put microphones and lights in place and I don't have to move it anymore. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to that. So, for uh, about four days, I think, Ing and I have been uh, uh, packing in the old rectory, um, sorting things out, preparing the move, and then two days this week... Um, with the help of uh, a parishioner of mine and uh, and his uh, neighbor, actually, <laughs> at one point, we moved over all the stuff to the rectory. There was one little issue that I had forgotten about when I made the decision to, you know, start working from home and move all the office stuff to my rectory, is that upstairs, if I want to live there... <laughs> I, I, I need to start refurbishing it because when I arrived um, it still had the carpet from I think it's 40 years old and it's really grimy and ugly and ooh, dirty um, and the toilet is also the bathroom is f so old I think it was built in the 80s of the last century so it's at least 40 years old if not older and it is. Uh, it needs to be. It needs to be changed. And really, it had to. Uh, but because I moved quite suddenly, they just didn't have the time. They did refurbish the the, the big bathroom with the shower a little bit, um, but that's about it. They didn't really change anything else. And uh, now I'm like, okay, but I. I really want to change the carpet and I want to get um, wooden floors instead of the carpet because the downside of carpet is it is gets very dusty and it's hard to clean. So, plus it is just not looking nice at all. Now that, of course, should not be the main reason to change, but uh, ever have ever since I've been, you know, building my house on my little island in Animal Crossing. <laughs> I'm looking at design a little bit differently. 
like on the island, I'm constantly trying to make things as nice as possible, find matching colors and, you know, fiddle with the, the house that I have there, the virtual house, uh, for hours to, just to make it look nice. And then in my real house, everything looks so hodgepodge. So um, I decided to, uh, to get a new floor. The thing is, in order to install the floor in the four rooms that I have upstairs, uh, all the carpet, all the existing carpet, plus the layer that's underneath the carpet, uh, has to be removed. And when they arrive to put the new floor in place, um, the rooms have to be completely empty. No furniture. <laughs> so now I have to figure out a way to get all the furniture out of these rooms. Um, and still, the, this is probably not going to be tomorrow uh, that they're going to install the floor. So there's a, a waiting period of about three weeks, he told me. And then they probably need two days to install the entire thing. So I need to move the furniture, or I had to move the furniture in my living room out of the, out of the spaces so to put all the office stuff and the desks and uh, <laughs> to put that on the, uh, in the office or in the, like, say, the work, the work room. Hello. Hi. Little dog gets a walk and looks at me expectantly. But no, I'm not going to run around with that dog. <laughs> I don't think the owner would appreciate. So um, the furniture downstairs could not go upstairs yet because I have to keep those rooms as empty as possible. So now my hallways are crammed with Ikea things <laughs> and <clears throat> uh, I've put some things in the attic I, I, I turned the ha little hallway on the first floor into uh, like a secondary living room and now I still need to figure out a place to put my bed for the time being I think I'm going to make it I'm going to be able to empty all those rooms but it is going to be quite a puzzle where to leave everything while they are doing that floor but anyway now is the time to act because if I don't do it now I don't think it will ever get done and uh, this has been my biggest frustration in the first 15 years of uh, working as a priest here in my old rectory is that I never found the time to you know paint a wall and make things look pretty I just couldn't I was always working and when I was not working I was exhausted and now I'm thinking okay let's do this uh, the so the the move was actually a good excuse to get the ball rolling and now I'm I think I'm definitely uh, getting there I'll show you some pictures and maybe do a, a tour once it's uh, once it's finished <clears throat> But I'm enjoying the process quite a bit. I also really like that I give myself permission to, to rearrange things and uh, to sort all the stuff out. Like, at the office, we would have so many 
wire, so much equipment, and a lot of it was old. And uh, so now I'm sorting things out. I'm throwing away a lot of of outdated equipment, uh, as well as cables and stuff. And there was one bookshelf with a lot of theology and philosophy books that I kept from my studies. And, uh, you know, just a whole collection of, of philosophers, Kant and Hegel and Aristotle and so- Socrates, you name it, as well as a, a lot of uh, theology, biblical theology. Um, and I was, I was about to bring that stuff upstairs. And most of it is either Italian. Oh, and then there was this whole section of books from my studies in communication in, in Rome. A lot of it is in Italian or in French or in German. I had already given away most of my Dutch books to the seminary, to the students there. Um, and I've gotten rid of almost all my fiction uh, in terms of physical books. I have a few physical books that are not available on in digital form. And I have the uh, Ready Player One book, which for some reason I just like as a book. <laughs> Maybe because it's about VR. <laughs> I want like a physical copy of that book as a gift from a good friend of mine years ago. Um, but then I'm about to to put all these theology and philosophy books in uh, in a box, and I'm thinking, well, why am I even going to bother bringing that upstairs? If I look at my to read list currently in Goodreads and knowing that if I read one book per week which is my goal for 2020 I could just read 52 books and I'm currently looking at about 300 books most of which are not the type of books that you sit down and you know let's relax on the Sunday afternoon let me read some Kant (laughs) no so why do I keep that as a reference why would I if I ever you know, want to study Kant, I'd, I'd probably just look it up on the internet. Uh, or, or if need be, you can always download a, uh, stuff to my Kindle because a lot of that philosophy stuff is in the public domain anyway. And I was like, this is holding on to the past. This typical example of, of uh, not letting go of something that is... That, has been important while I was studying philosophy and theology and it has definitely uh, yielded results and I've, I've studied all that let me follow this path I'm kind of lost in the woods here I hear the road on my right hand side it's a highway and I can see it through the trees but I've never been on this path at least I don't recognize it Maybe it's also because during the summer everything grows so quickly that, <clears throat> you know, in two weeks' time the entire forest can, can be overgrown with uh, plants and leaves. Um, so why was I holding on to those books? Mainly because in the back of my mind I was like, well, but I, I bought those books from my very meager student uh, 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 allowance and... Uh, 
oh, this book, I remember reading it for my exam and I worked so hard on mastering what's in there. If I throw it away, it's almost as if all that effort was for nothing. And I really had to stop myself and telling myself, don't keep things for the sake of of, of memory, of, of, you know, holding on to something that was part of your life but is no longer part of your life. It was a phase. It was a step. But it's like when you cross a river, you don't take the bridge with me, with you. After you've crossed the river, the bridge has fulfilled its function and you leave it in place. Uh, but you leave it behind. And now I was keeping all that stuff. And maybe 10 years ago, I could have thought, well, I still have so many years ahead of me. Maybe I want to spend more time studying and... Ugh. Now I'm thinking, no. <laughs> I have other things to do. And God wants me to, to spend my time on other things and reading these old philosophy books that I've already read as a student. So, I got rid of all those books. I threw almost everything away. The only books that I kept were a few um, study books that go through the Gospels in a very methodical way. I uh, enjoyed those courses tremendously when I was studying in Brussels. Uh, unfortunately, because I only studied for one year there, I couldn't do all the Gospels uh, because those were every year they would uh, go through another Gospel and it, it would take an entire year to study just one Gospel. That's kind of goes to show how, how detailed the ana analysis was. I learned so much of that. It's kind of like a deep dive. And uh, so I bought the syllabi. Is that the word? A syllabus is like a, an, a, a condensed version of the course material. So I bought the, the other ones as well. So I did not throw them away because I use this kind of reference material a lot when I'm uh, preparing for a homily or I just want to uh, get some background information about uh, a, a certain tricky gospel text or whatever. So I, I know that I've at least opened those books every two years or so. But Kant and Hegel and Nietzsche and oh my goodness, even if they would pay me to read it, I would still not do it. Because it is just... No. <laughs> that is something of my past. But it felt so liberating to uh, put all those books in, in boxes. It also had a bit of a definitive... Um, it, it, it felt like closure. It was like I'm finally at the point in my life where I dare to say, well, this is behind me. And it is good to move on. And now life asks something different from me. And it's not necessary to hold on to stuff just in case. Maybe someday. The maybe someday category is, uh, is the pack rat category of many people's lives. And normally it didn't bother me that much because, well... Yeah, books look nice when they're in, on a bookshelf. 
But now I was like, well, I got to carry that upstairs. And I definitely am not at all willing to go through these books again. Let's just get rid of it. And also there's knowing that if necessary, I can always rebuy those books in the very unlikely case that I would have to study Kant or Hegel or Nietzsche in the future, which I don't think is very likely. I even did it with books from Edith Stein, Saint Edith Stein, uh, whose works I studied for my philosophy masters. I wrote a thesis about her, uh, I think it was De Inter Essentia. Uh, anyway, it was a metaphysical work and uh, I did a study on the uh, philosophical anthropology of Edith Stein with a hint of metaphysics. <laughs> so I kept all her works and again, I am never going to read that again. I still really am thankful that I studied her work and it uh, definitely gave me, I think, that exactly the, the, the right transition between my years studying philosophy to the study, study of theology because that's kind of the movement that she went through herself. She started as a philosopher, assistant of uh, the uh, famous German philosopher Husserl. Very tough material. <laughs> But she was a very smart lady. And then uh, she converted. She was Jewish originally. Didn't really practice it that much. She had been fascinated by these big philosophical questions of life and, uh, and purpose. And then she, she converted <clears throat> mostly thanks to uh, um, a book that she read when she was visiting a friend of hers. And she, so she couldn't sleep. She found a book about Therese of Avila, the Spanish mystic who, as a woman, was very much, you know, character-wise, a soul sister of Edith Stein. Same type of very strong, very intelligent woman. And so she devoured that book, it's kind of her autobiography, in one night. And that became the stepping stone to her conversion to uh, the Catholic faith. And then a few years later, of course, you know she was arrested by the Nazis and killed with her sister um, and she was canonized by uh, John Paul II who also studied her philosophy when he was still I think a teacher or a student probably teacher because age wise he was kind of close to Edith Stein but uh, anyway Very, ugh, it's getting very wet with the drizzle now and the wind. Uh, even those books I got rid of, like that was now that I'm trying to, re um, to summarize what I've learned from her. I'm thinking, well, that is isn't that the essence of what I what she taught me? I don't need to go through that entire journey again. <laughs> I know that she was convinced by the fact that. 
in order to go from philosophy to theology, you needed the leap of faith, literally. Well, not a literal leap, but you can't just go from the uh, awareness or the conviction that there must be a God or a creator, which is something that you could deduce philosophically, or, or like a cause, there has to be a cause for every effect. There has to be, so there has to be an ultimate cause of everything. So that whole metaphysical uh, world and journey she was familiar with, but in order to embrace Christ and Christianity, you have to go and accept revelation. This is not something that you can deduce rationally. Uh, that is why... Christian faith is based on what they call revelation. It is something that has to be revealed to you. It's not something you can come up with yourself. Especially true when it comes to the obvious contradiction or kind of this this weird conundrum in the life of Jesus that when you want to save your life you will lose it when you are willing to let go, that's where you will find life, the gospel of last week. Um, that Christ as the Son of God had to die on a cross, those are things that you, you don't find in other religions. It is, and especially that the death of Christ on the cross is the ultimate revelation of how far God will go in his love for us forgive your enemies, etc., self-sacrifice. It's, it's kind of part of, of the Christian value system for so long that we don't realize how weird it is and how counterintuitive and non-rational in, some, in, in a certain way. Although faith is, always has a rational uh, dimension in a sense that you can explain what you believe and why you believe it, but you cannot explain the mystery of God itself and the, and the core of the revelation so that ultimately theology requires you to have faith to kind of uh, submit yourself to God that has been a very important life lesson for me that, that my life is ultimately not about holding on to things or understanding everything from an intellectual point of view but that the the best of life is revealed to you in surrender it's once you surrender once you let go of control or don't try to capture everything with your intellect that is where you will sometimes discover um, what is truly beautiful and true and right. So, the value of surrendering your life to God is something that Adolf Stein first did as a philosopher, and later on as a nun, and ultimately also when she gave her life, when she surrendered, handed over her life to the Nazis. Um. So anyway. This was a week of letting go. Uh, and it is... Uh, it's a good process to be in. 
there are still a lot of other things that I need to let go of. Most have to do with anxiety and fear. Like I'm, I'm getting very anxi- anxious. <laughs> and I'm getting very anxieted <laughs> about uh, the uh, the work ahead of me, uh, especially the the, the self doubt. Can I really pull it off to film 15 episodes in the next couple of weeks? I know I can, but that's different from feeling that I can. It is, uh, the creative process is, is so hard to predict, and things will probably always go differently from what I expected it to be. But this is also has to do with control. It is hard to be creative when there is this anxiety reflex of trying to control everything. So I was like, well, I can't start now. I can't start filming because there's this and this and this and this that I need to do. Have I really thought this through? Am I well prepared? Whereas my best shows often came from surprise, from discovery. Um... So that is something I, I, need, I know I need to jump. I need, I need to make another leap of faith. And in a way, wh- why would I separate my professional, professional life as a TV producer from my faith life? Why not see this also as an adventure where, you know, I, I can work with the Holy Spirit. He is the, the ultimate creator. So if I need help creating then maybe that is someone who could help me. Maybe. Duh. Then the Holy Spirit is definitely going to help me if I'm open to it. So, but again, it's, uh, there, there's a lot, I, I'm struggling, struggling a lot with that. With that is still a, quite uh, an endeavor. Um, still also struggling a bit with the anxiety about the parish situation I've uh, already given you some examples of, of tension that I feel is, is kind of new and it has to do with the fact that my media mission as a shepherd in the world of media is now much closer to my life as a parish priest or an assistant priest in the parish than it has ever been. Normally I could always separate these two and now, you know, with the International Mass as an example, that is now part of of my mission and at the same time the parish up until last week was, was also involved in this and, well, initially at least wanted to make different choices. So... I know that if I want to continue uh, to build upon what I've discovered during this COVID uh, period, this corona time, um, I will need more focus, I need more time. And I don't think that I can, buy, can combine that with the, the position as a parish assistant, at least not in this form. I don't see myself going to these meetings every week and... Uh, being, you know, having to plan my assistance for mass, like half a year in advance, 
Oh, wow. They put a banner up in front of the church? We are open again. Welcome. Well, that's great. I suggested that a couple of days ago. Why don't we make a big banner, a welcome banner? And they did. That's awesome. I think it's so important now that churches are reopening to to uh, make people feel at home. This is their church. This is their home. And uh, instead of focusing on all the regulations, safety precautions, I think the emphasis should be on the fact that we are glad to be together again this upcoming Sunday as a family. I'm curious to see if there is going to be anyone assisting the international mass life. We've opened that up to parishioners as well, but since it's in English, I'm not sure if people are interested. We'll see. We're going to build that up. So, um, the, 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 the kind of, the type of parish appointment that my bishop gave me starts to generate more and more friction with my main task, which is to, you know, develop all these media initiatives. So I want to go and talk to my bishop about that. And I know that that, uh, I just, that also gives me a bit of anxiety, because I know what I want, and I do believe that this is just developing um, what I see as my vocation, uh, which is primarily to be uh, a priest there where no priests have gone before. Well, that's not entirely true, but to go beyond the frontiers of just good old-fashioned parish uh, ministry, knowing that at least part of my parish is everywhere in the world. And most of you that are listening have never met in person, and yet I do think that we have a bond. And I also feel, in a certain way, responsible is a big word, but I feel very close to my listeners and my viewers, and I want to build upon that community uh, relationship. So it's not entirely virtual or digital, but uh, it, it does require choices, I think. So anyway, and, and choices means change, and change makes me anxious. So, thank you so much if you would uh, pray for that a little bit. Because um, I'm, I'm in need of some... Uh, to open the fence here. Which is normally something you'd put in place for a kettle. Still don't understand why they put it here, but... Oh well. close it again okay there you go no one can ever go through that fence again uh, but I, yeah I, I, I always appreciate the prayers that um, God may guide me in my discernment and of course I'll continue to pray for you too and let me know how you're doing and if there's something you want me to pray for then uh, you can always add your intentions to the comments in the International Mass and we'll, we'll pray. I'll pray for those intentions and so will the people in church. So if you need any support on that level, 
just let me know. Ah, back home. And now I'm going to get a cup of coffee. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'll talk soon. Take care and God bless.